Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this season, Lord, when we focus on you, when we remember what you did, the gift you gave. Thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that you this morning would stir our hearts towards you more, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for you more. And Lord, you would stir in us that passion that we would thrive in a way that makes an impact in this world. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Jeremiah 17, if you do not have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll gladly give you one. Um, It's page 419 in the Pew Bible that we hand out. Um, This verse, Jeremiah 17 This summer, many of you know I was on sabbatical for three months. Before sabbatical, I got asked if during sabbatical, I would come down to Mexico and teach for a week to a bunch of students. And I said yes. I felt like the Lord said yes. And the the passage they gave me was Jeremiah 17, 5 through 13. So I taught on that for a whole week. So this morning, I have to condense way down. First service, I had to really speed talk because our time was really getting tight. You guys may be here a little longer. No. Um, that, but this whole theme of thriving, how many of you want to barely survive in this world? No, we don't want to do that, right? How many of you want to live in mediocrity? No, we won't want that either. How many of us want to thrive? We want a life that makes a difference, that means something. Yes, that's what we're, but you know what? We struggle with that. How do we go about thriving? I think this passage Gives us some key elements to thriving this morning. Um, one of the, the goals we have in Connection Youth Ministry, and I say this often, our goal is to raise students so that when they graduate, they don't just survive college and the world and work, but they thrive and make a difference. And isn't that what we want for all of us? When I think about thrive, what it means to thrive I think of Israel, and maybe you're going, huh? Okay, number one, because they've struggled forever, right? But, and actually, I was blessed, Karen and I were blessed this summer to go with the group from Harvest to Israel and to see all that God was doing there. And I can tell you, it was amazing. I remember when Moshiko uh, said the first day we got on the bus, right now you're reading this in black and white, your Bible in black and white, it will become color for you after you walk in the places you walk and see where Jesus was and experience these things. He said, right now, you read it two-dimensionally and you'll read it three-dimensionally. And that is all true and it's all incredible. But when I think about Thrive, I don't think about any of that stuff with Israel. Those of you who went with us are going, where is he going with this? It's weird. You know what I think about? I think about their agriculture. See if we can make this work. There it is. I think about their agriculture. You know, in, in Isaiah 35, it talks about how God will make the deserts to bloom, right? And, and one of the amazing things to me that was going on there, and I got more pictures, these are date palms. They, make, they grow dates in the desert there. But what's amazing about it is how much they raise, how much they grow agriculturally. We saw not only date palms, we saw a lot of those um, This is another picture, and you can see the barren land, and yet we have this growing. But we also saw banana groves. Bananas in the desert, people. 
They're a tropical fruit, right? It doesn't work. How do they do this? How do they thrive? How does their stuff thrive? I'll answer that, Matthew. You don't have to. <laughs> but, you know, um, he's used to youth group where, right? Um, Moshiko one day was telling us, he said, you know what we do before we plant anything? We decide the area and we cover it all with big black plastic tarps. Cover the whole area and they'll leave it six, sit for up to six months. He says, then the heat comes and scorches and kills everything under there. So it, there's no contamination. There's no nothing. Where this picture is taken, guys, is right by the Dead Sea, which is one of the hottest areas. It was like 110 to 115 where we were. It's, it is dry, baked, scorched land. Um, so he said, we do that. We let it bake out. Then we come along and we cut troughs through the plastic into the ground. We cut them about two feet wide, about 18 inches deep. Cut these troughs, take out, excavate what's there, put black tarp plastic back down in it, and then we fill it. And I'm going, yeah, you fill it with black dirt. That wouldn't you know, make sense. They fill it with sand. Might be going, why sand? Well, they don't have much black dirt. It is a desert. They fill it with sand. And me, growing up in a small farm community, going, stuff doesn't grow well in sand. And he said, no, we plant right in that. He said, but here's the trick. See, Israel was the one to invent drip irrigation, they call it. And they call it, actually, I was talking with someone earlier, the point drip irrigation where they get the water, the specific amount of water to the specific spot. Because, again, it's an arid place. Water is precious there. But the interesting thing is that water isn't just water. They mix all the minerals, all the, the food that the plants need into that water specific to what they're growing so that it grows better than anywhere else. Date palms, he's talking about with the way they do these date palms, they produce 50% more dates than the average tree does because of the way they do it. They thrive in a dark, barren land. Here's, here shows you a little bit of the barrenness, right? And you see those far things, those are the date trees. So that's what they're growing in. Um, when they're doing this, like the bananas, they had those in, in like greenhouse type of thing. They had tarts over them. They weren't quite this fancy of a greenhouse, but they have tarps over them. And Moshik was saying, then what we do when we have to control the other stuff, he said, we'll put tarps over them that controls how much sun gets through. So they get the right amount of sun, and then they'll run cables on one end and run water down the cables and then fans that blow through there. And you know what that does is it causes moisture and humidity, and they can control the environment perfectly, and they end up producing way better (laughs) with their controlled environment. They get more fruit for their labor than anywhere else. It's absolutely amazing what they've been able to do to grow in the desert. And when I think about thriving, <laughs> that's what I think about. We're going to back up one. Whoops. Back doesn't go that way. We'll leave that. Um, let's read Jeremiah with that in mind. Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who depends on flesh for his strength. 
and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wasteland. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in a parched places of the desert in the salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves always stay green. It has no worries of the year, in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs, it did not lay as the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they will desert him, and in the end he will prove to be a fool. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. You know, if that sounds a little familiar, some of that pictorial, it's the same. It's much like Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I, I'm, I'm, it's sit, walk, and stand, but here I'll read it. I'll read just a little bit of that. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the See the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in seasons whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so with the wicked. They're like chaff that is blown, right? Same type of imagery. The interesting thing here about Jeremiah is this. He starts with the curse, right? And he, in many ways, he sort of ends with that same Man, the people who are foolish, they don't realize that you're living the water. And it's interesting, it's partly because who Jeremiah was and what his calling was, right? He was a prophet that was telling them they were going into exile. And he was warning. And if you read a little bit before this in 17, you realize that he's challenging them because they have put all these idols, starting in 17.1. They've done all the sinning by putting these idols on high places and, and worshiping these idols. We saw some of the idols when we were in Israel in one place. But they worshiped these idols. And so he's saying to them, whoa, wait a minute. When you put your, your trust in God, in man's way, you're in trouble. You need to trust God. What I come to, one of the key things to, to thriving is what I want to call source. We look at this, um, this pictorial here. We have a man who is trusting in man. He's trusting in the ways of man, right? He's trusting human philosophy, human ideas, what feels right, what thinks right, what sounds good to me. The man who trusts in that is cursed. It says he is in a parched, dry land. When good stuff comes, he doesn't even see it. But blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord. Which is your source? Which, where do you get what you need when it comes to identity and worth and purpose and joy? 
and security and peace and meaning. Value life. What's your source for those things? Is it what man says? Man, is my security in, the, in my 401k? Because right now that's been going, right? Stark market's been going everywhere with it. Is my, is my security in that? Is my security in my family? Is my security in my job? Do I get joy happening? What's the source of those things? Or is it the Lord? We're called to make him our source. I think it's interesting. Um, there's this part, and I'm reading out of the NIV this morning, um, but in, if you've got the Christian Standard Bible, in mine it says he will not see prosperity when it comes. I think the Christian Standard Bible says something like, um, even when prosperity comes, he won't recognize it. <laughs> think about how true that is. When my source is in these things, to me, what points out there is do I, you want to know one of the ways you can, you can measure whether my source is coming from the Lord or from other stuff is do I have a thankful heart or do I have a grumbling heart? Am I discontented or am I content? See, I would say most of us as Christians, we'd say, yeah, my source is Jesus. I get this. My source is Jesus. You know what? And it probably is the majority, but what seeps in from the side, people? And I picture this, I sort of picture it as that river, right? This river that, that's our source that feeds us. What's seeping in from the side? What, what else is it Jesus plus, you know, lots of money, comfortable life? A husband who, you know, you know there's a lot of times when we, here's one of the measurements you can look at if you say, if only then, right? That's that discontented heart. If I'm a grumbler, if only then, if only my spouse then, if only my kids then, if only my job then, if only my family then, if only my friends then, if only whatever. Fill in. What is it that's the if only for you? Because that's the seepage on the side that's diluting the source. That's the seepage that brings about the discontented and the grumbling rather than the thankfulness, right? He says, even when good stuff comes, you aren't recognizing it. Instead, you're too busy grumbling about the if and thens. Where when we realize who our source is, we see the good things and we're thankful and we trust in him. We know he is faithful in the midst of it. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. I'm going to read that if you want to open it. You can turn to it. First service, I had to rush because we had a lot going on like this and I knew I needed to be done. You guys, like I said, may uh, I get to read a couple of these things. That's good. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What do you worry about? That's seepage, (laughs) right? What do you worry about? 
I love that. He knows what we need. Can we trust him as our source alone? That's the challenge. I find myself often trying to tell God how he should lead me. Man, God, if you do this and then that, then that would work really good in my plan, right? What's the source? That's the first thing. You know, this, I told you this all happened. I got this before I went to uh, Israel. I got this verse, and it really became the verse that I chewed on through almost all of sabbatical. This whole, this passage here, just sort of looking at the, uh, and the first thing the Lord challenged me with is, Jim, what's your source? Where's there seepage in your source? I'm going to challenge you guys with the same thing. Second thing he challenged me with was flow, what I want to call flow. And if we go on here, we're going to find, when he's talking about, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, that's verse 7, uh, he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. But here, it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Interesting. Talks about heat. Doesn't say there won't be heat in our life, right? With him as our source, there's still going to be heat. There's still going to be trials. There's still going to be struggles that happen when the heat comes. There's still going to be drought. You know, when I talk about flow again, in my mind, I'm sort of picturing this, this river thing, right? And Okay, there's several ways that the flow can get diverted or stopped when it comes to river. One can be, you know what, I can block it off. And that's a little bit what we were talking about in source. I'm rejecting that source and choosing another source, right? I can be the one going, nope, I don't want that right now. I'm going to wait on that. You know, God, I don't want you right now. I want this instead. You know, that's really, in a sense, guys, what we do when we, when we sin, when we choose to sin, saying, God, I don't want your way right now. I want my way. Right? That's a source issue. What I'm talking about here is flow. And that's really more about the Lord. And it is the world around us, the things that throw, the world throws stuff into our path, but God knows about those. And God allows those things to happen. I think about when it comes to flow and path and all that, think about rivers that you know, even the Sock River here. Anybody ever paddle down the Sock River? It's like this, right? Um, I, I've hopped on before foolishly and went, oh, this should be a short little paddle. It's only from, well, even from like Anton's to the Mississippi, right? That's not very far to drive. It's like a two and a half hour paddle because of the way it meanders through. And, and so many, so God, we think, okay, God, this is where you're going to take me, so let's go that way. He's like, no, okay, yeah, we'll get there. We're, I'm going to lead you because there's things I have for you to do along the way. This flow idea. But you know what the other part about flow is sometimes... He blocks things up, right? We're going along pretty good, and all of a sudden there'll be something will be dammed up a little bit. It slows down. It's not going the way we want it to go. This imagery really, the Lord really challenged me with it when it comes to heat and drought and these struggles that we go through. Uh, I was up during sabbatical. I was up along the North Shore for about three, four days on my own uh, solitude time. And I, I love water. I love rivers. I love waterfalls. I love lakes. Awesome up there. And actually, part of what I was doing is I was going checking out all these waterfalls along the North Shore. And one of my favorites is Temperance. If you've been to Temperance State Park, it's incredible. Um, 
and I'm seeing all this beauty that these waterfalls and all this stuff had made. You know, as you go down below, it's just gorgeous the way it's cut and carved through the rock, and it, it's incredible. And then I went up upstream, which I'd never really been. I went quite a ways upstream. I was hiking, and you know what? The river there is just sort of nice and wide, and it's you know it's fairly shallow with a few rocks. It's but it's really sort of flowing along really good and really nice until it hits these big rocks, right, that block it. But it's because of those big rocks that block it that the water holds up and then causes more power that ends up ultimately being the thing that cuts through these beautiful waterfalls and these beautiful carvings into the rock and all that kind of stuff. You get the picture? Sometimes we're like, God, why are you hindering me in this way? Why is this thing happened to me? This isn't fair. Why is this getting blocked? What if he says, what if he's using that to create something beautiful? What if by blocking you for a while, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause the force that will create something beautiful? Another analogy out of John 15 is the pruning. Right, John uses the analogy of pruning. You know, every good branch even, I'm going to prune that it produces more. What are the things, the challenges he's bringing? And are you mad at God going, this isn't fair, this isn't the way you're supposed to go? Are you trusting his flow? A few of you were around back in 2002, went here when I was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, It was a... Scary time for me. Surprise. 40 years old, young kids, two-year-old, four-year-old, nine-year-old, healthy, active. All of a sudden, I'm diagnosed with cancer. That wasn't in my flow. That wasn't my plan, God, right? And I remember being mad at God. This isn't fair. I'm healthy. I'm serving you, God. This shouldn't happen to me, right? That was, that was one of the blocks he put in my life. And the amazing thing is, through it, I look back now and I'm so thankful. Not thankful that I had cancer, but thankful for how God showed himself faithful in that process. For the things that he taught me about him, for what he did in my family at the time, for the, actually for giving me compassion because of it. More compassion. I don't know if I'm still highly compassionate, but you know what? I've, I've become way more compassionate than I was because I didn't understand those types of struggles. God puts those things in our way. And you know what? We get mad at them, but God uses them. Do you know drought is good for trees? You ever been somewhere where a bad storms come through and you maybe you gone along a boulevard where they planted fresh new trees and they water them regularly they're some of the first to topple over you know why they have never experienced drought so they've never had to dig their roots down same is true with wind wind is good for trees it makes them dig their roots down God's got purpose in his flow. When he brings drought, when he brings trials, when he brings heat, he brings pressure. Don't ask why. We're going to ask why. 
<laughs> That's the reality of human nature. But get past asking why. And what I challenge you to do instead is to ask what and how. What and how. What, Lord, do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to show you in this, Lord? And how do you want to use this? How do you want to use it? Because God's got his hand in it, guys. If our source is him, he didn't go, oh, how'd that river dry up on you? I guess I didn't realize that was going to happen. No, God's in control, right? So if our source is him, he's in control. Genesis chapter 50. It's the last chapter of Genesis. This is about Joseph. You remember what happened to Joseph? Matter of fact, Joseph was given this vision, right? He was given a couple different dreams that portrayed him as leading, right? And everybody else was bowing down to him. And then all of a sudden, his brothers ship him off to be a slave. And he goes to Egypt. And he's got to be going, God, this isn't the dream you gave me. This isn't the flow I was expecting. But this is the end. Of, of, of his story right here. But Joseph said to them, and this was his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I not in God's place? <laughs> Am I not where God wanted me to be? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done to the saving of many lives. What a perspective, huh? See, many times, the reason going back to that grumbling point, we, we grumble is because we don't have his perspective. We don't realize what his plan is and how this fulfills his purpose. So flow, we look at this and we realize, okay, wait a minute, drought's gonna come, heat's gonna come. He's my source, but he dictates the flow. He dictates the direction, not me. And the last thing as I read this is what I want to call thirst. Um, it maybe I've wrestled with that. I like it because it goes with things. Because it's not maybe the thirst you're thinking of, but it is. You know, this next section, and I know in, I think in the Christian Standard Bible it has a new heading there. You know, the author didn't write those headings the thought continues on and sometimes I think we break things and then we think, oh, this doesn't pertain to what was before it but I believe this section does because he's talking about blessing and then all of a sudden he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to, to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deed is. And then he goes on, he talks about those who are stealing and thieving and that kind of stuff. And then he, he finishes a glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. Oh Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame, but those who turn away from you will be written the dust because they've forsaken you. Lord, the spring of living water. I want to start with this idea that the heart is deceitful. You know, when, first time, whenever I read this, my first response, and that's why I think sometimes we break it off, is, oh yeah, this is the reality, the depravity of man, 
and God's judgment, right? That's what this is about. And you know, that is absolutely one of the truths. And when I read it, I go, yep, you're right, Lord. I'm deceitful and I deserve your judgment, but praise God for Jesus, right? Praise God for Jesus, but because of him, I don't get it. But I think there's more to what's being talked about than just that reality. Because whose heart is he talking about? He's talking about my heart. My heart is deceitful. We often read this, yep, the heart is deceitful. Yep, yep, you guys are. But, But you know what? My heart is deceitful above all things. You know the, the crazy thing about being deceived? Do you realize you're being deceived? No, right? That's the trick of being deceived. You don't know you're deceived because you're being deceived. Make sense? My heart deceives me. Your heart deceives you. Who can understand it? We deceive ourselves and don't even realize it. We lie to ourselves. So what this is partly saying to me, it's, it's going our heart versus God's glory. God's truth, God's judgment. Our heart, we can't trust. You know what that means? It means I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my ideas, my reasonings, all those things, Right? my emotions, my thoughts, my reasoning, they'll deceive me. They'll lie to me. But who can I trust? The one who is true and just and right and who correctly sees what is right and wrong, right? He's the one who examines the mind and uh, to reward each person according to their conduct. He's the one who does see truth and right. So who am I going to listen to? Me or him? That's a huge question, guys. Do I trust God? Do I trust his word? Do I trust his way? Even when it doesn't feel good to me? Even when the culture around us is saying other stuff that feels good or sounds good or seems reasonable to me? My heart's deceitful. It can deceive me into knowing what is true or not. So what do I thirst after? I think it's, it says it's deceitful. My version says the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. It's terminally ill, guys. There's no hope. Why trust in something that's there's no hope in? When I talk about thirst here, it's interesting, I heard David Jeremiah speak one time on the um, difference between physical thirst and spiritual thirst. He says, physical thirst goes like this. Oh, I'm thirsty. If I ignore it, guess what? I become more thirsty until I finally drink. And when I drink, ah, I'm satisfied and I'm not thirsty anymore. Spiritual thirst goes more like this. I'm thirsty. If I ignore that thirst... You know what? I become less thirsty. I become a little less interested in God. But if I go and I drink up of the Lord, guess what? I become more thirsty. 
Not because, not because it didn't satisfy, but because it makes me want more. You know what it reminds me of? I'll give you the example. It's my mom's dressing. Now, I don't know where you come from. You're wondering what dressing is. Where I come from, what some people call stuffing, we call dressing. I don't know what the difference is. I've heard people say, well, stuffing is drier and dressing is moister. Well, or dressing has meat in it and stuffing. No, I don't know what it is. But all I do know is that my mom's is the best. There's no arguing with me on that, right? Okay. Here's the reality. With mom's dressing, when I go home for Thanksgiving, I eat it and I go, oh, that was so good. I'm so full, but I want more, right? And I go back for seconds, even though I probably should, and then maybe thirds, and right? That's the kind of thirst or hunger I'm talking about here. That's what needs to happen. That's what we're longing for. Don't trust this deceitful, lying heart that says, this is what you should thirst for, because you know what? When you taste and drink of that stuff, it doesn't satisfy. Sin never satisfies. It does for a short time, but it, oh, I'm trying to think if I can remember, it'll take me farther than I wanted to go, hold me longer than I wanted to be there, and cost me more than I wanted to pay ever. That's the reality of sin. It tastes a little bit good at the beginning, but it, it leaves you empty, only longing for something more. So thirst after the Lord. And this was something the Lord challenged with me, me with, on sabbatical as well. Jim, what are you thirsty for? Are you chasing after me? Comes back, and again, when I think of it, I think of John 15. The same passage that talks about the pruning is also talking about abiding, right? This remain in me and I'll remain in you. Uh, You know, uh, you can do nothing apart from the Father. This idea of abiding. The more we stay connected in and drink from this source, trusting in his flow, the more satisfied we will be, the more clearly our purpose, our calling, our meaning, all of that will be. And that's how we thrive. Um, I I won't turn to it. John 4 is the um, story of the woman at the well. Right? And Jesus says, hey, if you'd ask me, I could give you living water. Right? That would satisfy That's what he's offering us. What are you thirsting for? The goal is thrive. To thrive. And let me clarify, thrive does not mean comfort, ease, pleasure. Right? Because honestly, they don't end up satisfying. Thriving means purpose, meaning true relationship, identity, joy. That's what God is calling to us. And it's not just for us. Guys, understand this. We thrive not just so that we, but in doing so, we bear fruit, right? He talked about that back there, and they will bear fruit. They will never fail to bear fruit. This one says, the other, uh, in Psalm 1, it talks about they will bear fruit in season. See, we thrive for the purpose of bringing glory to the Lord. We thrive for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus, of having a difference, an impact on the world to bring about fruit. I want to challenge you guys to do 
what it takes to keep the source pure. And if you've not made Jesus that source, that's what you need. And then secondly, to trust his flow. And don't trust your heart, (laughs) but trust him, thirst for him. That's how you thrive. Because God's plan for us is to thrive. Let's pray.